On this edition of Kiwi Tripsters, we explore summer in Christchurch, its food, its culture and scenic adventures, and why you should make Christchurch your base camp for exploring the wider region across Canterbury and the West Coast. Welcome back to Kiwi Tripsters. Buckle up and take off to spectacular destinations as we continue our journey and share the inside word on all things travel. Whether it's luxury travel or backpacking on a budget, whether it's cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an amazing travel experience. And now, over to your hosts, Mike Yardley and Chris Lynch. Welcome aboard Kiwi Tripsters, I'm Mike Yardley. Hello Mike, I'm Chris Lynch and on this edition we celebrate the mainland, we celebrate New Zealand's Garden City, Christchurch, Canterbury and the West Coast. Yes, we thought we would celebrate our hometown of Christchurch and the extraordinary array of day trip and side trip possibilities that you can uh, throw yourself at across Canterbury and the West Coast. It's what makes Christchurch such a fantastic base camp for exploring the mainland. Indeed, let's start with a quick update on the summer essentials in Christchurch. Mike, give us your, your top places to go. What do you reckon? Well, I thought we could play poker here, Chris. I would say definitely wrap your lips around the delights of Rollick and Gelato, whether it be in New Regent Street or the Riverside Market. I absolutely love that gelato, Rollick and Gelato. It's an absolute definite summer stop. And of course, no matter how many times you visit Riverside, there's always new gourmet delights to discover. It's a great season summer to savour the essential soul of the Garden City, which is the river and its gardens. So whether you want to take a nice wee romantic stroll through Hagley Park, the Botanic Gardens, Victoria Square, Mona Vale, Rickerton House, or perhaps you can join Chris Lynch and strike out on a great Port Hills hike like, uh, what, the Bridal Path? That's right, the yes. Bridal Path, thank you. Celebrating the first four ships of Christchurch. Now, if you're travelling with the kids, the Margaret Mahi Playground, absolute must. It is such a beautiful place for kids to go. You've got Arana Park Wildlife, you can go there, Willow Bank, the International Antarctic Centre, the brand spanking new Brighton Hot Pools, I love those, plus a new addition to the Avon River is the River Tours by Waka, which is now up and running, you'll glean lots of insights on the Waka, like how the 180 years ago, Māori and early settlers actually worked together to build Christchurch by transporting bricks on Waka down the Avon River. That would have been such an amazing sight. And of course, beyond the city's sparkle, Christchurch is also, as we said, a great base camp for regional exploration. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, you've got so much on our doorstep, right? Tailor-made uh, for pretty cool day trips. Um, Mike, I reckon the likes of Hiranui. You've also got Waimakariri, uh, Kaikoura. There's no excuse to say you're bored if you live in Christchurch and want a day or even a weekend trip away. That is true, and it's interesting you mentioned the Hiranui, Chris, because if you look at a map, it is like sort of this missing piece of the jigsaw puzzle, or a piece that you could easily overlook between the Waimakariri district and Kaikoura. Um, Amberley is probably its biggest town, so that's how big it gets in terms of urban centres, but State Highway 1 cuts right through the heart of the Hiranui district, and there's some great nuggets tucked away in those hills and along mm, those river valleys. There really are. You've been checking out some of the farm stays in the region. There's actually quite a few. There are, and it's a trending accommodation option, ideal for summer. A place that I would really recommend is uh, on the Lofnan family's 
farm, Tawanui, which is strung across a hillside overlooking the mouth of the Hiranui River. It's uh, glamping in Lotus Bell tents. They've got a fantastic farmyard-style living space. You've got a hot tub, and it's cheap as chips. Tim Loughnan, uh, who operates uh, the accommodation side of the, the farm business, he'll take you on an awesome ATV farm tour. Um, and they're very big into regenerative farming at Tawanui Farm, so James Shaw would be impressed by that. Tim also operates the only jet boat tour on the South Island East Coast. Wow. So you can rip your way along the beautifully braided Hiranui River all the way out to the Rivermouth Lagoon that meets the Pacific Ocean. And that lagoon is absolutely enthralling because so many pre-European Māori artefacts uh, have been discovered around that lagoon over the years. There's even been rumours of like an old waka still submerged in the lagoon. Imagine if we found that. How cool would that be? Then, of course, there's the wine at Waipura. Uh, what about Greystones? They've got a good reputation and a pretty nice wine too. I was actually at the food at the Wine and Food Festival for North Canterbury. Yes. Very popular tent. Very oh, popular tent. They are going great guns at Greystones and they are celebrating um, the news just uh, towards the latter part of this year that one of their wines has made it onto this international prestigious list, the top 100 wine discoveries of the world. Wow. And it's the 2017 Vineyard Ferment Pinot Noir. Vineyard Ferment is about as close as you will get to nature making the wine. So when they pick the grapes, they are then destemmed and put into open vats. And it's the environment's natural yeasts that turn the fruit into wine. So It's like organic in a way, isn't it? Well, it is, yeah. And, uh, yeah, the Waipra wine region is very big into organic because there are you know, generally a lot of boutique wineries, which lends itself to organics. Um, but, yeah, that uh, Greystones uh, Pinot Noir is absolutely superb. What about some other top picks? What do you reckon? Uh, lots of Ma and Pa enterprises. So yeah, there are actually, and that's cool. It is very cool. I really like the stretch of wineries on the south bank of the White Pro River, which is George's Road, and a lot of visitors will miss it because it's not particularly well signposted. But there's this fantastic winery called Terrace Edge, which actually featured on Country Calendar recently. So if you like uh, a full-bodied Shiraz or um, Syrah, you've got... Um, to try the roasted slope terrace edge Syrah. Now, when I talk about a roasted slope, you will see what I mean when you go there. They've got this block of vines that grows on a virtually vertical slope high up um, above the White Pro River. It's incredible how it sort of like seems to be clinging on for dear life, baking under 40 degree heat in the summer. And another really cool stop further down the road is the Bone Line Estate. The name of this wine, Bone Line, refers to a boundary line very close to the vineyard, which is rich in fossils as old as 65 million years. And there was actually an asteroid strike here uh, on this bone line boundary. I did not know that. So all of the wine labels feature fossils, uh, the depiction of fossils that have been discovered in the, Wy the Wiper River close to the wine estate. Nice. What about anything else of note? Because, I mean, there's plenty down that road. There are so many. I would also call into George's Road Wines, which is between Terrace Edge and the Bone Line. Kirk Bray is uh, the head there, and he's just a fantastic ambassador for local wines. So whether you like Pinot Noir, Syrah, or Pinot Gris, they do really elegant, delicate, delicious wines. They've got a great function centre. And once again, if you want to 
to do a bit of glamping, they've also got a very cool wine pod. So you can basically sleep amongst the vines and you've got your own gas-fired hot tub. Just one quick note about um, Waipara to finish off. Iron Ridge Quarry Sculpture Park is at the end of George's Road and uh, Raymond Herber purchased what was uh, an abandoned lime works and he has tra- transformed this quarry into the most brilliant sculpture park um, and the star attraction there is what they call the gentle giant which is this two and a half meter high steel sculpture of a Clydesdale stallion so yeah the Iron Ridge Quarry Sculpture Park is great if you want to take in a bit of art You're with Kiwi Tripsters. Let's showcase Banks Peninsula. If you look at the map, it's got a pretty curious geographical feature to it, doesn't it? It's well, a bit I of a blob. Always, yeah. When I've looked at a map, Chris, over the years, I've always thought Banks Peninsula looks like a giant thumbprint, quite a big bulbous blob. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, it does, doesn't it? And then you can see all the corrugations, which are sort of like the you know the lines um, uh, from the ridge lines of the hills. Um, I think it is such a cool geographic feature. I thought actually Captain Cook might have been onto it when he assumed Banks Peninsula was an island because they you know called it uh, Banks Island originally, mm. and. He would have been right if he had sailed by in 18,000 BC because back then uh, Banks Peninsula was separated from the mainland of New Zealand and it's all the, the glacial rocks washing down from the Alps that ended up joining Banks Peninsula with the mainland. But prior to that, yeah, the likes of Akaroa Harbour was part of a giant volcanic island out in the sea. If you're driving from Christchurch to Akaroa, a must-stop has to be Little River. It's such a, a beautiful, quaint wee... Well, it's not really a town, is it? I wouldn't wouldn't even call it a town. It's literally a stopover. Yeah. Or a stop-off. It's like a roadside settlement, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But yeah. it's lovely, and there's lots there. A nice wee ca- couple of nice wee cafes, a couple yeah. of wee art galleries. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's worthy of your time. People love the art galleries there, definitely. And then um, just past Little River... Um, you've got uh, that fabulous drive through the tucks and folds of the crumpled hills... And once you get over the Hilltop Tavern, which I know you've taken amazing photos from, Chris, of that Akaroa Harbour view from the Hilltop Tavern. Mm, it's nice. Yeah. Once you get over there, you come down the hill to Barry's Bay, and you've got to go to Barry's Bay Cheese if you are a fan of fromage. This little cheese factory is a true survivor because when it first started uh, producing cheddar back in 1895, there were actually nine of these Little family-owned dairy co-ops around Banks Peninsula. And this is the last man standing, the last outpost of traditional handcrafted cheesemaking on the peninsula. Uh, let's get out to the harbour now. What do you mm. got for me? Well, Anawe Peninsula is a really striking geographic feature once again. And you will notice this when you're at the Hilltop Tavern, looking out of that view, this jagged sliver of land that seems to cut through Akaroa Harbour like a knife. It sort of resembles the backbone of a dragon or an elongated pyramid. It's just an amazing landmark. And it is so rich with history. I took the one-hour return walk to the summit of Anawe Peninsula, and that just starts past Barry's Bay. Now, on this peninsula, on the summit, was this massive palisaded Naitahu Pa uh, back in the 1800s. And it was the scene of one of New Zealand's worst 
massacres because Tarapraha and his warriors laid siege to this pa. They took the young and the fit as slaves and slaughtered the rest. Now, some estimates reckon the number of Naitahu people butchered and eaten from Anawe could be 1,200 people. Uh, and we're talking like 1820s, 1830s. So they must it's not have been that very hungry. Very hungry. The feast actually took place on the Flax Flat at Barry's Bay. Now, when you go to Onawe Peninsula, and you are allowed to do this walk up to the summit, you will notice there are signs up that Naitahu have put up saying, we request you not to eat when you visit the site, and it's because it's sacred land, it's tapu. Mm. So it's a, it's a really interesting place, beautiful scenery, the history amazing, even though it's gruesome, um, but it's – it's a place so silent. When I was there, Chris, it was like a shout would just hang in the air. Mm. You know, there's a certain a pl- a place, something about the place. A place of respect. You don't want to be talking too much, you no, know. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Um, Akaroa, interesting times with the lack of cruise ships, a double-edged sword because yeah. they like them, they don't like them. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I know you go to Akaroa uh, regularly. Chris, do you prefer it when it's busy with that bustle of the cruise ships or do you like it more laid back? No, I like it laid back. I like it when it's quiet. You see, the thing is, I'll try not actually go there if it's a public holiday because you know it's going to be busy. But that's yeah. just me. Yeah. Other love that hustle and bustle tourist yeah. sense and on one hand it's great for the local economy on the other hand some locals don't always appreciate it but yeah and that's why I think it's so right that you call it a bit of a double-edged sword what do you think yeah I prefer the laid-back feel to Akaroa it'll be interesting with the new cruise berth opened in Littleton Port yeah. what will unfold in the next couple of years because it's likely that the smaller ships will probably continue to go to Akaroa and the bigger ships, the mega ships, will tie up at Littleton, which is probably the best outcome that could emerge. Well, it, it's, it is going to be up to the cruise ships, isn't it? Because on one hand, imagine docking in Akaroa because yeah. it's so little. Yeah. That's part of its charm. Yeah. But then if you want the passengers to easily go to Christchurch for the day, it's going to go to Littleton. So it is a double-edged sword. Absolutely. Uh, it's always lovely, though, seeing the cruise ships um, coming yeah. into harbour and leaving again, isn't it? It is. Uh, the Black Cat uh, Nature Cruise is a real trademark attraction of Akaroa. Um, so if you want to take a cruise onto the harbour and out to the heads, you will see so much cool stuff, like Ornuku Marae, where the treaty was first signed in the South Island, Cathedral Cave, uh, the Nico Palm Gully, which is in a hanging valley high above the cliffs. And this is the southernmost grove of Nico palms in the world. So when you go to the West Coast and you see all those fabulous Nico palms, mm. um, these guys in Akaroa are the southernmost in the world. It's amazing they actually uh, managed to uh, grow there. Uh, you've done that nature cruise, haven't you? Yeah, it's yeah. lovely. Yeah. It's lovely. Did you see Hector's dolphins? Did plenty of them. Mm. I actually think the best aspects of that cruise is when you get out to the heads and you see all of those volcanic rock formations. Yeah, actually for me that was more spectacular and exciting than seeing dolphins. No yeah. disrespect to Mr. and Mrs. Dolphin, I've seen that before. Yeah. But that is something that I've never seen before and the ro- you're right, the rock formation is how do I explain it? It's nothing like I've ever seen before and it doesn't actually feel like you're in New Zealand. Not at all. You know? There is a place called Scenery Nook which I think is probably the best. And I actually think it feels more like Mars than New Zealand hmm. because the rock is so fiery red mm. in colour, mm. and you sort of enter this like natural amphitheatre with these enormously steep 
hillsides of fiery red rock. Mm. I think it is truly amazing. So did, it's a truth to do. I did some filming there and you can check, check that on my page. Yeah. Dana, did you make it to the, the giant's house? Yes, I went there for the first time in my life a couple of months ago. I found it utterly mesmerizing. And uh, the work that Josie Martin, who operates it and lives there, the work she's done over the last 24 years and counting is just extraordinary. And she calls it the happiest garden on earth. I reckon it's sort of like a mix between Anthony Gaudi and his beautiful art uh, and Disney because there is a real sense of fantasy there with all of the characters that she's created out of mosaic tiles and so forth. It's a real fantasia, you see, at the Giant's House. Have you been there? Yeah, love it. Yeah. Yeah. So nice. You would have been crazy with your photos and videos. Yes, there I too. was. Got plenty of photos there. Check yeah. them out on Instagram. Thank you. <laughs> um, coming up, we uh, head west from Christchurch to the west coast, south driving, of course, Buller, before heading to South Westland. Stay with us. Stay tuned. Kiwi Tripsters will be right back after this break. Enjoy a splash of summer in Christchurch, your purpose-built base camp for wider exploration. Across Christchurch, Canterbury and the West Coast, we'll put the adventure into your Kiwi holiday. From urban food safaris, knockout street art, world-beating walks and the highest mountains to heart-stealing towns, farmstay glamping, thermal pools and jaw-dropping natural wonders. When was the last time you really explored Christchurch, Canterbury and the West Coast? For more inspiration, head to ChristchurchNZ.com. You're with Kiwi Tripsters. Let's head west from Christchurch to Buller. And the gateway town, uh, of course, is Reefton. And I went through Reefton. What a beautiful wee town. Very Instagrammable, as you say, Mike. Yes. And it's about to have a bit of a birthday bash. It certainly is. 150 years old in January. One of the great gold mining towns of uh, the West Coast. And a town of famous firsts because they're very proud of this, Chris, as I'm sure you noticed. They were the first town in the Southern Hemisphere to get electrical streetlights, which was a major breakthrough. Well, you wouldn't think so, would you? Because <laughs> it does look quite old, but and it's in the middle of nowhere, so I'm trying to figure out where the power came from, why, and of all places, why Reefton. But there you go. They created a nice wee hydro dam for themselves. Did they? That's apparently how it was powered, yes. Okay. But it's such an eye-catching town, and um, that main street particularly is just... Such a wonderful carnival of colours the way they've done up the shops. You love it, Chris, I, don't you? I absolutely like it. I just, I just something about those wee quaint towns in the middle of nowhere, just beautiful. The other uh, big headliner in Reefton is the Reefton Distillery, which has been an industry rock star when it comes yeah. to awards for gin, particularly. Mm-hmm. The little bitty gin is a darling. And even the New Zealand government can see that it's going places. It got, a, a, I think, about a million bucks yes. to... I, I suppose, increase on its current business model. So That's good right. on them. Yep, absolutely. And their new distillery, this extended distillery, will open later in summer, purely based on the insatiable demand that they have generated. Uh, and in the new distillery, which will open in about two or three months' time, there'll be more tasting rooms, more tasting experiences, more products. They're going to launch uh, their Moonlight Creek Whiskey, uh, which will give little bitty gin a run for her money. So yes. the distillery is definitely worth a stop. Do you know what I noticed when I was uh, stopping over that way? A lot of wicker out and about, and they're very cheeky, and they're quite, uh, well, they don't mind saying g'day, do they? Do you notice that? I think I saw the most amount of wicker uh, at Cape Fell and in the oh, sort yes. of wider Westport area. 
Um, and from Reefton, to get to Westport, obviously you shadow that glorious Buller Gorge through to the West Coast. And uh, just out of town from Westport is Cape Felwind. Uh, I think um, it is a spectacular place. That coastal scenery is so magnificent. High-cliffed beaches. The rock formations and how they are lashed by the waves just relentlessly are just fabulous. Mm. And around the corner, if you're into your wildlife, uh, from Cape Felwind uh, is Tauranga Bay, which is a family favourite because it's um, home to one of New Zealand's most accessible fur seal colonies. You might have gone to see the fur seals in Kaikoura, and yeah, they're fabulous and up close. They've, uh, Doc have created this wonderful boardwalk network around Tauranga Bay, um, and there are just hundreds and hundreds of fur seals there. Obviously, being summer, pups are out in force mm. because they're big breeders in Buller, and the boardwalk network also has inbuilt binoculars, which you don't have to pay for. So if you want to get some really intimate views, you just, you know, stick your eyes on those binoculars. Fabulous. Further north, of course, is the beautiful Karamea. Yes, and you're so right, Chris. It is so beautiful. You went there, what, a, two or three months ago? Mm-hmm. Such a lovely place in terms of the geology, in terms of the colours. Yeah. It is so vivid. No filters required. Yeah. So green, so blue if it's a nice day. Um, I think this is one of the best kept secrets, and I kind of want to keep it that way because not many human beings populate this place, and may that continue to be the case because it is so far off, li- literally off the beaten track, isn't it? it? Is. I mean, to get there, yeah, it's a bumpy as road, yeah, um, you yeah, know. across the Karamea Bluff, and yeah, mm. but it's incredible when you look at a map. Once again, we looked at the geographic feature of Banks Peninsula. If you look at the map of the South Island again, you will notice that Karamea is actually further north than Wellington. The way that the uh, the shape of the South Island juts northwards, or if you go oh, across on a latitude, yeah. Wellington is below Karamea. Isn't that crazy? And Are you sure about that? I am very sure. I've checked and studied this thoroughly. Okay. Chris Lynch, you're looking at me in a doubting way. <laughs> but that is why I think you talk about the colours in Karamea being mm-hmm. so vivid. Yeah. They've got like a, a subtropical maritime climate. It's a very different climate to Greymouth or Hokitika or further down the West Coast. So I think that's why stuff grows so crazily in Karamea. Mm. And the and the green tends to be, I reckon, a more limey green. It's almost a cartoon green, it isn't is, it? Mm. Than like the darker forest greens mm. further south. It is a fantastic place. Did you go to the Oparara Arch? I did. What do you think? Amazing. You can do this. Uh, look, the road to get there is a bit tricky. Best yes. to do it on a four-wheel drive. If yes. I'm being honest with you, don't take a little car. Um, but the walk there, well, it's only about 40 minutes in. It's a very easy walk, very family-friendly walk. Yeah. And then once you get to the arch, it's beautiful. It's like, do you know what? It reminded me of Fraggle Rock. Yes. You know, with the um, the almost <laughs> the almost fake rock they would create back in the 80s on it's that true. popular children's television show. Yeah. So once you're there, it's beautiful and it's nice. But to me, the highlight of this whole track was just actually walking there itself. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's majestic. It feels like something you actually would see on New Zealand tourism. Posters. Yeah, or commercial. Those beautiful forest colours, don't yep. you think? And, and little totally wee, and little wee fresh streams yeah. everywhere. It's just delightful. The arch itself is actually New Zealand's largest natural arch. So the span 
across the length of it is 200 metres, two rugby fields. It's a whopper. Did you walk inside and go and look at all the stalactites and stalagmites? Yeah, I did. Lovely. Although what we didn't do, because I think it was um, a bit too uh, gushing the water, you can actually go to the other side and get a better view in. But we decided just to keep to one side. Yes. And, I mean, you don't really need to. Um, But it's lovely. And it's definitely one of those best kept secrets in a way. It is. You know? And it's interesting how the power of Instagram has probably made the Operara Arch very, very famous in the eyes of prospective visitors to New Zealand, you know, from overseas. Yeah, but thankfully, know about it. But yeah. thankfully, the so-called influencers don't go there because it is so far off the beaten track. And I kind of want to hard work. And I kind of want to keep it that way. Well, interestingly, you mentioned the <clears throat> the road. NZTA have uh, just confirmed they're about to reseal that. Uh, access road to the Operara Arch. So maybe that uh, will make it more appealing for people to go there who perhaps have thought, oh, that road looks a bit hairy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Any other tips around about there, Mike, just before we wrap up on this segment? Yes, well, obviously you do want to go and uh, stick your nose into the Hefe Track, which is just north of Karamea, um, and you've got that magnificent Eco Palm Grove just at the start Mm. of the Hefe Track once you get across the Swing Bridge, which I love. If you are driving to Buller, uh, for example, from Nelson, there are various ways to get to Westport. There's a couple of routes you can take. What I would strongly suggest you do is make sure if you're driving from Nelson down, keep driving down to Springs Junction and make sure you then drive to Buller on State Highway 7. And the reason I say that is because that road between Springs Junction and Reefton threads through the Victoria Forest Park. Now, this is New Zealand's largest conservation park of its type. And the road itself is just phenomenal because the canopy is draped right across the road in so many stretches of it. So you've got like this solid umbrella of branches above you. It's like driving through glade after glade after glade. It's just beautiful. So definitely take the State Highway 7 route between Springs Junction and Reefton. You're with Kiwi Tripsters with our summer profile of Canterbury and the West Coast. Now, if you're doing a bit of a roadie down the West Coast after taking in the delights of Buller, Mike, South Westland is an interesting place. It certainly is, because obviously the likes of Hokitika, uh, even Ross, they get a lot of publicity. But what about Whataroa? I went to Whataroa a few weeks ago, particularly to go and see the White Heron Nesting Site, or kotoku, as Māori call it, the white heron. Uh, Now, this is the only nesting site in New Zealand, uh, just a few minutes from Whataroa, and you can only access it on a guided tour. The reserve itself is called the Waitangi Roto Nature Reserve. And it's presumed that this uh, bird, the white heron, was actually windblown across the Tasman Sea from Australia thousands of years ago. Because there are other white herons around the world, but they generally are in tropical places, warmer weather. So why they chose to nest and make South Westland their base is one of nature's great mysteries. How many nesting pairs did you actually see? Well, I was really lucky to see 43 breeding pairs uh, on their nests. Is it a lot? It is a lot for this time of year because... 
The nesting season kicks off around October and will run until March. I went there late October, early November. So to have so many breeding pairs there already at the start of the season is a very good sign. Once again, big breeders on the West Coast by the looks of it. Um, <laughs> but it's very cool to get such an intimate look at how they get on with their daily activity. And the dads are very hands-on dads. And dad will fly off and flutter around and fossick for sticks and twigs to fortify the nest. And dad returns to the expectant mother with his building materials. And she sort of like bursts into a great, a great flurry of excitement. They're very theatrical birds, big poses. And also so delicate. They look like snow white ballerinas in full performance mode on their nests. So it is absolutely transfixing to watch from the viewing hide. You're only about 10 or 20 metres away from the birds. What about uh, Okareto? Uh, much action on the lagoon? Absolutely stunning, Chris. This is New Zealand's largest unmodified coastal lagoon, about 20 minutes from Whataroa, and it's home to about 70 bird species, so twitching heaven is Okarito. You'll definitely want to take a lagoon tour in the morning for the best breakfast spectacle because the birds are out there feeding, the water is still quite um, calm, and you'll get those reflective qualities from the Southern Alps. Um, and the interesting thing about the white heron is that even though it only nests uh, at uh, this reserve just out of Whataroa, it will use the Okarito Lagoon as its major feeding bowl. So there's actually a permanent population of white heron on Okarito Lagoon. Um, so after they've left the nest down the road in Whataroa, a lot of them will go to Okarito. So you will see them year-round on the lagoon. Pretty impressive stuff too. And this whole area is pretty synonymous for the likes of Kiri Hume, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it does seem to attract a lot of creatives, Okarito. Um, I actually was staying in a holiday house right next door to Kiri's old home of the Bone People fame, and she relocated to North Otago from Okarito three years ago. Um, a neighbour was saying to me that he watched her shift out and he felt very sorry for the house movers because they had to pack up 35,000 bucks from her house in Okarito. Uh, but yeah, there's lots of arty types in Okarito. I think what attracts them is there is this great sense of elemental solitude mm. to Okarito. You've got uh, the Alps behind you, the roar of the ocean right in front of you. Yeah. You sort of like feel wedged between nature's greatest forces. And I had the pleasure of meeting another creative there, a guy called Andrus Apps, who was one of our great landscape photographers. Um, he has a house and a spectacular gallery in the village, which you can visit. Now, just, just finally, um, you did the Alpine Fault Tour. I've always wanted to do something like this. Is it as fascinating as it sounds, though? Well, it felt like ticking off a bucket list experience yeah. in many respects, Chris. You didn't jump on the fault, I hope. I put my finger into the fault line. I could touch the Pacific and the Australian plates. So you could cause an earthquake. <laughs> well, you the thought crossed me while I was there. Uh, am I going to upset uh, Mother Nature? Yes. It probably has a, a whiff of disaster tourism to it. Yeah. Those who are attracted to the Alpine Fault Tour. I did the San Andreas Fault Line Tour uh, in California, which is very, very similar. But if you want to do this Alpine Fault Tour, it leaves every day from Fataroa, just down the road from where 
the officers to go and see the white herons. And it's actually a really cool tour. They've, they've got this great 3D animation modeling in their office, which GNS produced, which really graphically illustrates the intersection of the plates. And then you were taken by bus to a place called Gaunt Creek. And this is where you can see and touch the paper thin boundary of these two massive tectonic plates. So, yes, like me, you can shove your finger in the crack and touch the two plates. It's pretty gobsmacking to consider that every 300 years or so, Chris Lynch, the whole Pacific plate moves up by four metres and horizontally by eight metres. Until the scientist then says something else, saying <laughs> this is the groundbreaking discovery we've had. It's funding time. Well, there could be a bit of that. How very cynical, Chris Lynch, but probably yes. very true. But I think the last time the Alpine Fault let rip was about 300 years ago. So if you mm. believe the seismologists, we have a, what, a 50-50 chance of a major alpine uh, fault quake in the next 30 scientists years. had no idea <laughs> about the faults across Canterbury when the shakes we've had, so let's leave it at that. Very good, Chris. Thank you very much, Mike, getting, in, <laughs> getting involved in the drama. Oh, exactly. Thank you so much for joining us on Kiwi Tripsters, everybody. Now, be sure to like our Facebook page, Kiwi Tripsters. Also, on the website, kiwitripsters.co.nz, you'll find the show notes. Um, and if you go to the For the Love of Travel website, you will find the articles about um, some of these experiences in Canterbury and the West Coast that we have talked about. Lovely stuff. Plus, we'd love you to rate us, only if it's positive, review us as well, Kiwi <laughs> Trips is on the podcast service that you're using. Um, that's our last episode for 2020. It has been one hell of a year. We've got yeah, through it together. We have. Thank you so much. We hope we've kept you company and inspired you to perhaps do some domestic travel across New Zealand. Absolutely. We do wish you a very Merry Christmas and uh, every good wish for a brighter, less stressful and liberating 2021. We hope to catch you again for a fresh episode later in January. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. Safe travels.